My name's Ed Smith. I was orphaned when I was only an infant, and I grew up in an orphanage out in Middle Tennessee. I was farmed out to a few foster homes before I turned ten, but for one reason or another, I always ended up back at the orphanage. While I was there, I learned that I didn't like school too much. I didn't like people much, but I liked to fight. And that might have been part of the reason my foster parents sent me back, but I couldn't swear to it. I didn't care anyway. I was angry most of the time, you know, angry at the world, angry at my parents for dying and leaving me alone, angry at God and man alike. As soon as I turned 18, I joined the military, the army. It seemed like the ideal career. I could fight, blow shit up, gun down the enemy. Hell, I didn't even care what the supposed enemies had done, as long as I got to fight and destroy. I only made one friend in the army. Name was Alvin Jones. He was the only one who understood me, and even in the army family, he and I ended up being outcasts. The other soldiers gave us a wide berth no matter where we were. They didn't outright ostracize us, but, well, it was pretty damn close. If the army doesn't like a soldier, whatever the reason, the powers that be will find a way to get rid of that soldier, remove them from the larger group. In my case, I was selected for a special assignment. It was a sort of a black ops mission, although I had no training for such a thing. I was told I really didn't have a choice. It was accepted, or be court-martialed for trumped-up charges that would ruin my career in the army forever and likely send me to prison for the rest of my life. Now, I don't know if they really could have done all that or not, but at 25 years old, I wasn't willing to risk it. I'd die in the jail cell, and if they kicked me out and I didn't go to prison, well... I had no idea how I'd make a living as a civilian. I had no other skill sets. So I accepted the Black Ops mission. My transport would leave the following day, but no one would tell me exactly where the hell I was headed. It was a secret location or an undesignated location according to all the paperwork, which wasn't much. I had only signed three forms. Just to be honest... I didn't even read over them, I just skimmed. That evening, Alvin and I sat in the mess hall for supper. I wanted to tell him I'd be leaving the next day, but I'd been sworn to secrecy. They had said it was of the utmost importance that I not tell anyone anything about it. So, anxious as I was, well, I kept my damned mouth shut. The next morning at four... I was waiting for my transport, which turned out to be a military Hummer. The driver was a big dude in uniform. The passenger was an older guy in a suit with dark sunglasses. And I tossed in my bag and climbed into the seat. When we didn't immediately start moving, I told them I was ready. And the suit asked, Where's the other guy? Paperwork says there's two of you, soldier. 
I told him I wasn't aware anyone else was being selected to go on this mission. He flipped open a file, thumbed a couple of pages, and closed it again. An Alvin Jones, it says. Do you know him? I said I did, and he told me to go find him and light a fire under his ass. I headed for Barracks Building C and Alvin nearly mowed me down as he rounded the corner, pulling his uniform jacket on while fumbling with his bag. He asked me what the hell I was doing there, and I told him we were selected for the same mission, and that he was late. We needed to go. Back in the Hummer, the suit ordered the driver to get us out of there and straight to the plane. Then he lit into Alvin for being late. I asked the suit if he was military, and he told me in no uncertain terms that my ass was his for the foreseeable future, and all I needed to know about him was that he was in charge. Hell, I didn't like it, but there wasn't much I could do about it. The guy was a real ass, so I stayed quiet. We met a plane, it was a small plane. It was already ready and idling on a runway in the middle of nowhere. It looked like a concrete runway in the middle of some farmer's field. Alvin gave me a worried look, but I shrugged it off. It was a black ops mission after all. The plane took off immediately with the suit sitting behind me and Alvin. It unnerved Alvin apparently, because he kept looking back at the guy as we flew. The pilot landed us in a desert. The runway looked similar to the one in the farmer's field, except there was no concrete, just hard, packed dirt. And after the rough landing, the suit led us out and away from the plane. The only thing I could see was a 12-foot chain-link fence, topped with hurricane wire. The hurricane wire was angled toward the inside of the lot, and I have to admit that that image scared me. It was meant to keep people inside the fenced area, not to prevent outsiders from entering over the fence. The suit walked up to the gate, looked at his watch, and then pointed to a whirl of dust eddying towards us from inside. I asked him what was out there, and he just laughed as the jeep pulled up to the gate, and a man in an army uniform unlocked the gate, saluting him as he walked past. Before I stepped through the gate, I looked around and saw nothing but desert in every direction, stretched for miles all around us. I had a bad feeling about the place and our reason for being there. It couldn't be anything good. The jeep took us a mile in. The entrance to the facility was a ramp that went underground. The walls, floor, and ceiling were concrete and the only light was the long segments of fluorescence that hung overhead as we drove. The temperature dropped considerably as we continued to descend. We came to an enormous round room. We got out and the jeep circled, heading back out the same way we entered. The ceiling was probably, I don't know, 50 feet above us. The suit had us follow him into one of the several rooms around the perimeter of the circled room. He closed the door and told us to sit. He sorted through a few papers and handed us each a stack. Mr. Jones, you no longer exist. He grinned, showing his small white teeth. 
and the grin never reached his sinister eyes. The door opened and two burly men in hospital whites flanked Alvin where he sat. The suit said, You will go with these two gentlemen, and I advise you to do as they ask. He nodded to the men, and when Alvin started to question, one of the men used a taser gun on him and they dragged him out. I stood immediately, but the suit warned me. Do not interfere, Mr. Smith, or you'll follow him. I assure you that your fate is a better one. With the other men gone, suit walked to the door. You will accompany me. I didn't move. I want to know what's going on here. Where the hell are you taking Alvin? He laughed and shook his head. Huh. You'll see. I followed him out of that room and down a long, brightly lit corridor, and I could hear the distant hum of a ventilation system. He stopped at an elevator and we waited a long time for it to open. Once inside, I saw that there were only three buttons in a single row. He pressed the middle one, holding his finger over it for a few seconds. A loud beep sounded, and the doors slid shut. We were going down. It seemed like the ride took a couple of minutes. I started getting nervous and the suit man laughed. It's just taking us a few hundred feet down. Nothing to be worried about. It's a security measure. The doors opened and we got out. There were three identical corridors. Each was 20 feet wide and a mile long. I know because the placard at the beginning of each corridor stated the measurements, along with the hours, as if they were businesses. The far left corridor had the word, Good, printed on both walls in three-foot letters. The center one read Bad, and the far right one said Ugly. Someone's attempt at humor down here in the hole. They don't get out much and entertain themselves however they can. The suit took off down the good corridor. About 30 feet in, there was a door on the right that opened into a large room that looked like any normal break room in a factory with vending machines, tables, chairs, and a couple of TVs on the walls, and even a sink. I was administered a series of shots they called vaccinations. They would be repeated on a quarterly basis. They were to keep me safe from diseases I've never even heard of. And, well, hell, I couldn't even pronounce them. Mr. Smith, I need you to understand that you died shortly before the end of your tour in Afghanistan last week. He opened his file and read from a paper. You died tragically in a vehicle accident. Not in combat or... Anything so messy. I was taken back. I told him I didn't understand, but the creeping cold taking hold of my guts told me all I needed to know. I no longer existed to the outside world, or in the military. And that's why he kept calling me Mr. Smith instead of Specialist Smith, which was my rank title. After the initial shock wore off, he told me that I was in the broad-based genetic experimentation facility, owned and run by the CIA. 
They were working on genetic mutations of the human and animal species. I was going to be a glorified janitor in my new life. I would be responsible for cooking food for some of the patients, serving their food, and seeing to their housekeeping needs. And you could be their friend if you so choose, but I really don't recommend bonding with any of them. You'll understand why later. He motioned me to follow him through the door in the back of the room. It opened to the largest industrial kitchen I had ever seen. It must have covered nearly an acre. Holy shit, how many patients are in here? I looked over the cavernous kitchen with all of its equipment, overwhelmed at the sheer size of it. Hard to say. The numbers change drastically from one month to another month as patients come and go. He pointed to a large section of the kitchen. This will be your area. Your pantry is there. You'll be expected to follow specific recipes to a T. No variations. You'll keep it clean and perform your duties without having to be supervised. Is that understood? Fuck, I've never cooked more than a hamburger before, I told him. Oh, these recipes are simple to follow. I'll have the utmost faith in your ability to execute your duties. He laughed. Go into the pantry and you'll find your new uniform. This one is no good to you anymore. He pointed to my jacket and smirked. After your first shift, I'll show you where you'll shower and sleep. He turned on his heel and left me standing in that giant kitchen. With my heart in my gut, my future looking dimmer than ever, I headed for the pantry. I wouldn't stay at the facility for long, after all. There had to be a way to escape. My new uniform was baggy black pants held up with elastic and a drawstring, and the shirt was a baggy white t-shirt and a pair of black non-skid Crocs. I didn't wear that kind of clothes even when I was on leave. Hell, they looked terrible. Felt worse, and well, I fucking hated them. The shelves of the pantry were lined with boxes. For labels, they had used letters from the alphabet. There were boxes labeled with single letters from A to Z. Cold storage was the same. It was plastic totes labeled with single letters. I didn't open any of them to inspect the contents until I found my assignment sheet. It hung on a clipboard inside the pantry entrance. It had already been labeled with my name. I had ten patients down the good corridor, and two on the bad and ugly halls. There were no patient names, only room numbers. Every patient on the good hall only got one thing to eat, and it came from the boxes labeled with an A. Hefting a box from the pantry, I set it on the prep table and opened it. It was full of what looked like IV bags full of blood. I checked my sheet and saw that the two patients on the bad hall were supposed to get whatever came in the boxes labeled D and E. I checked those boxes. One held dead rats wrapped in plastic, and the other contained dead frogs wrapped in plastic. I thought someone was joking. Surely none of this was what I had signed up for or been forced into. 
After all, what kind of patient would eat that shit? I laughed and started going through the boxes, but I stopped laughing pretty soon. I didn't laugh when I opened the plastic totes in the cold storage. In fact, I gagged. There were partially frozen human body parts in those. They weren't fake either. I've seen lots of severed body parts in my time, and these had been ripped off at the joints. Some were cleanly cut, but not many. And in one tote, there were vacuum-sealed bags with brain halves in them. As I headed out of the coolers to go demand answers from the suit guy or anyone else I could find, the sounds of pots clanking and the low conversations of men stalled me in the pantry. Easing out of the pantry, I saw that other men dressed the same as me were moving around in other parts of the kitchen. Stalking out into the break room and then into the good hall, I saw no one else. I punched the button on the elevator, and when the door slid open, I pressed the top button, thinking it would take me back up. But the lighted ring around the button turned red, and a buzzer blared. I held my thumb on the button for several seconds, as I'd seen the other guy do, but the red light appeared, and the buzzer blared again. The third time I tried, the buzzer blared out of its warning, and part of the roof slid open. A panel of guns aimed at me, and a voice over a PA system ordered me to exit the elevator. I wasn't authorized to use it. I ran down the hallway. I booked it. There were sliding glass doors covered with curtains on either side. The room numbers were on the white curtains. I wanted out, so I ran the length. I mean, surely there'd be an exit at the end. But... There was only a blank wall. Just then, the suit's voice came over the speaker system. Mr. Smith, if you have to be supervised even once, you will find yourself on the other side of one of those curtains. Do your job. I walked to the first curtain and flung it aside. There was a man in a hospital gown standing on the other side of the glass. He looked frail, haggard, and scared. He had a shackle around one ankle that tethered him to the cinder block wall on the far side of the nearly empty room. There was a five-gallon bucket in one corner and a few blankets on the floor in the other corner. Nothing else. Beside the door was a pad that had instructions printed over its top. Place them on button until light turns green. The room number had not been on my list, but I put my thumb on the button anyway. The light remained red, and after a few seconds, a buzzer sounded. Now, remembering the guns in the elevator, I went back to the kitchen. The cooks weren't much help either. The only answer I got from them, no matter what I asked, was to do my job. So I loaded a rolling cart with ten bags of blood and took my list to the hallway. I held my thumb over the button of the first room and the light turned green. A loud click sounded and I could slide open the door. The woman ran to a corner and looked at me with terror on her face. 
I held up the bag of blood. She reached for it, whimpering. I backed out slowly when she took it and started draining it into her mouth. All the rooms were identical, and all the patients seemed like normal people who were just scared and half-starved. I moved to the bad hallway. My rooms were halfway down the corridor, one on each side. I pushed back the curtain and the room was the same as the others, but the thing in it was not human, at least not totally. It was a humanoid body with the face of a snub-nosed dog. It growled from the corner with the blankets, and I moved to the other room and pushed back the curtain to see the same kind of creature with long dark fur over its head, face, chest, and back, and stomach. The rest of it had very thin, light fur, and its snout was longer. I opened the doors and tossed in their meals of rat and frog and left almost at a run. One of the cooks stopped me and made me calm down. He told me that he had been there since he was 20, and he had no way of knowing how many years I had been. Well, from my estimation... He looked to be nearing 40. My blood ran cold. He told me they spliced genes and then mutated them so the host would accept them without dying. The CIA ran the place, so it might as well not even exist. He said the whole place was rigged with a failsafe to keep anything from escaping. The failsafe was a lockdown followed by fire. Every foot of the facility was rigged with natural gas outlets that would burn any and all living things before they could get outside. He helped me with the ugly hall food, which was brain halves and a severed arm. He tried to prepare me, but when I saw those creatures, oh, hell, I thought I'd go mad. They looked like Siamese twins, joined from the breast to hip. One was humanoid, though it looked like a zombie, and the other half was alien gray. Chad, the cook helping me, he had to feed them. I couldn't even move. He said eventually one half or the other would take over. The government's hope was to meld them together and make an alien-human hybrid who would walk among people undetected. Well, I didn't know how he knew, and quite honestly, I didn't really care. I worked that way for far too long. I was 25 when I went in, and I didn't escape until I was 32. And Alvin? Well, he never got out. He became one of my wards and he started out on the good hallway. At first, he begged and pleaded for me to kill him. Then he became silent and fearful, snatching the blood bags from me just as all the others had. I sat with him some days in my spare time, but I was careful to stay out of reach. He lost all ability to communicate after a while and... Then one day, he was on the bad hallway. He grew fur all over his body. He became violent. 
and I had to carry a cattle prod when I went in to clean his room. Alvin, or whatever it was that he became, well, he died soon after that transformation. I mean, of course, I'm the one who found him. And that's when I found out that we were in charge of disposing of corpses, too. It was the one time that I actually met another worker at the facility with a job different than mine. As I was escorted to the cremation chamber, I formed my first escape plan as well. There was no way off my floor without an escort who had clearance. The clearance was in their thumbprints. Now I chatted a little with my escort who was heavily armed, and I asked him how long he'd been there and got around to asking if he'd been topside recently. He said that he had been. The week prior, he had met a food delivery truck. Now the conversation went on until I had determined the man had clearance all the way to the outside, or rather, his thumb had clearance. And for months, I planned how I would subdue him, kill him, cut off his thumb, and then get the hell out of there. During those months, I felt myself changing. I wasn't scared anymore. I was back to being me again. And hell, it felt great. I served three meals a day and cleaned up all my patients' rooms quickly so I could get back to my small room and exercise. I bulked up quicker than ever. My energy level was out of the roof. And as I bulked up, my food rations were generously bulked up as well. During these months, none of my patients died. That meant there was no need of the security guy during that time. I would have to kill one of my patients. I decided it would be the male who took Alvin's cell on the bad hall. I went into his room and looked him over as he stood snarling in the corner. The cattle prod kept him at bay. Adrenaline pulsed through my veins as I envisioned what I was going to do to him. I tossed the cattle prod to the floor and motioned for him to advance on me. Finally, he charged me. It's kind of a blur after that, but I do remember being bitten several times. I was bigger and stronger, but damn, he was fast. It was like trying to hold on to a greased pig. And in the end, I wrapped my arm around his throat and strangled him to death. I went back to the break room, tied a small knife to the strings on my awful pants, pulling my shirt down to hide it, and cleaned up before reporting the death. A few minutes later, the same security guy ambled into the hall, motioned with his rifle for me to follow him, and we went to the room to collect the corpse. I slid the cattle prod under the creature's dead body on the gurney while the security guy waited outside, whistling. And in the cremation chamber, while I chatted as I had before, it seemed the guy held the same clearance level as before as he extended his arm to press the button that would open the crematorium's door. I hit him across the back of the head as hard as I could with a prod. He hit the floor and I stomped on his neck until I heard the bones break. He stopped moving. 
I cut off his right thumb and pressed it on the button. The light turned green and the door opened. I wouldn't have much time before he was missed and someone came looking for him. And so I ran to the elevator and it took me up. The rooms were empty as I ran for the tunnel past the round room. The tunnel was empty as I ran up its incline and out into the bright burning sun. Hell, there was nobody anywhere out there. I ran in the direction I had been brought in years before. My head pounded and my muscles burned. As the fence came into sight, I heard a piercing alarm in the distance, and several large dust clouds rose from the direction of the facility. The thumb worked on the gate and I slipped out, closing it behind me. The sun was low and the night would fall within a couple of hours. And my running slowed to a jog and then to a fast walk. The vehicles that chased me had gone in several directions and I couldn't tell where they were in the dimming light. And when one jeep came close, I buried myself in a sand dune to avoid detection. And it worked. The next morning before sunrise, I was back where the airplane had landed. A small plane idled on the runway, probably getting ready to go pick up another shipment of recruits. I boarded the plane and overpowered the pilot, forcing him to fly me out of there. And I killed him and jumped from the plane into a lake somewhere over Arizona. All that was eight months ago. In the meantime, well, <laughs> I found employment with a landscaping company, and I've rented an economy apartment under a false name. You know, it's amazing what cover stories you could come up with to get legal documents nowadays. I've been undergoing changes that I don't like, though. You see, my temper's slowly getting worse. It's to the point where no one will work with me anymore, which, well, that's fine with me. And my appetite is immense. It is incredibly huge. I want all my meat bloody rare, sometimes not even cooked at all. I'll eat it fresh out of the pack from the store. The bones in my face ache all the time as if under extreme pressure from the inside, my once decent looks have faded completely. Now I'm beginning to notice little patches of itchy fur sprouting from odd places on my body. I hope it's not what I think it is. But the vaccination shots were scheduled for the day after I busted out the facility. Nothing to do for it except wait and see.